Libra Hage Greenberg here with your Text Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. In this episode, we are joined again by Koki Hasiotis of Lasagna Technology to dive in to a bunch of different banking topics this time around. Koki, how are you doing today? I'm good, Julie. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I am in the process of moving. I, I leave New York City for Austin on March 31st. So you might be able, not be able to tell by my video on here, and obviously podcast listeners can't tell as well, but my apartment looks like some sort of tornado just went through it. So I'm anxious for all of that to get packed up and just sent down to Austin. <laughs> yeah, and I know that's like a big move for you, and I'm really excited, but I also have a, an announcement. On March 31st, I will inherit Tux. I just can't wait to be a mom. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, I can't wait to be with him forever. I hope you have bought a lot of different dog toys and stuff for him. He loves ball. Anything ball, he is good with. So just just keep that in mind. Have you noticed how in denial I am about you leaving? I know. I know. <laughs> I like it, though. It makes me feel left. You are. Uh, but speaking of my move, um, you know, other things have happened in my life lately, too. I got married. Um, you know, I'm getting another dog. I'm moving. What? You're getting another dog? Yeah, we're getting another one. Announcement I'm sorry, here I sort of received an email that Tux is going to have a sibling. <laughs> but anyway, so so lots of things in my life are changing, and my bank doesn't know that. My bank doesn't tailor what it's offering to me based on that. And you mm-hmm. wrote a really good piece for us this week that dove into this sort of customizable banking, and yeah. I would love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, so this is something I actually explored in an article, I don't know, was that last summer or last last fall? Yeah, it was September. I went back and looked at it. Yeah, so I dove into this before about how I think it's actually crazy that my bank offers me deals and stuff that have absolutely nothing to do with me, despite the fact that they're the institution with the most data on me, like ever. So I bank, for instance, with Chase. Uh, I have a debit and a credit card there, and I dive into this a bit in a piece, but I'll tell you why I find it frustrating. They should know everything about me. They know how I spend. They know who I am. Like my other credit cards should know how I spend and who I am. Um, But the thing I find really perplexing is that they see my debit account. It's been there. It's been the same for a while. Um, And they keep making offers to me on my debit account. Like, hey, here's 10% off Ray-Bans. But they should know full well that I literally never spend on a debit card. I just I just don't. It's either an auto pull for my car payment or my rent. But otherwise, the, like I do not make transactions with a debit card except every two weeks at the nail salon. That is it. Because um, I have to use the ATM in the back. Right, right. I, I have been there too. No, it's interesting. And you know, the fascinating thing to me is even these fintech companies aren't that good at it quite yet either. I think there's a lot of hurdles they have to go through on the back end to make this work because uh, I love using Credit Karma, but when they recommend a card to me, it's one that I already have usually. Yep, every time. So I think what's what's interesting is that everywhere else in our lives is customized if we think about it. Like if I open my Spotify next to yours, we're not going to be even close to being the same, the same recommendations. They make me a playlist like every single day, just because they love me, like based on my taste, because they have my information. Netflix does the same thing. And I touch on this in the piece. Netflix knows what animes to offer me now. And I'm like, thank you. I really appreciate it. But Hulu to the same extent does that as well. Why can't my bank who has way more information on me do that? So the way I see customized banking is like, that's the first iteration. Like we can make 
suggestions that actually make sense for who you are. And that's a big cash management thing. And that's kind of interesting. I mean, that could be a, a huge, a huge coup for any bank that figures it out. Um, the second part of that is when you get to the end of the road. So what does the final state of this look like? And I think it looks invisible. And we've been talking for years about invisible banking, but for those of you um, listening, I just did air quotes. But we've been talking for years about invisible banking. And essentially, the idea there is like everything moves without you touching it. Um, and I co-wrote this piece with with my friend Sufi, who is a co-founder of Atomo. And that's kind of what her product does is like, hey, we're going to we're going to make you, we're going to allow you to set commands. So at least it's like a step towards that one, that end state. So what that means is like, Hey, if I have $5,000 in my account, transfer 10% to my Robinhood. Or if I have fewer than a thousand dollars, do nothing. Um, stuff like that, that could just, you know, offload your manual kind of labor as it were. So, yeah, I think there's even like taking a step back too. Mm-hmm. like when my marriage status changes, why can't one of these banks send me like, hey, congratulations, here's some tips for newly married couples on right. how you might want to think about your finances differently or hey, you just changed your address to Texas versus New York. Here's some advice for you based on the current city and like ways to save money here. What things might cost different, cost different prices, like what might cost more, what might cost less? Why am I not getting that sort of service? And that's that's in my mind, that seems basic because it's easy for me to change my address to my bank account. Like I'm going to have to do that anyways. And I would think it'd be the same for your marital status as well, because you're going to like I filed my taxes jointly this year. That should be a signal. Right. And that's kind of interesting, too. And I, I mean, there's a lot of affinity banks working on this. I mean, I talk endlessly about Daylight. Daylight does this for the LGBTQ community. And like when we talk about the queer community, there's a different set of financial needs. Right. And and that's just one way that that banking is starting to customize. And that's through affinity groups. Um, and I just yeah, I just think it's kind of interesting that it's like this. There's a whole mass of data that just cannot be figured out. And I wonder, I, I, I mean, I'm not a data person, but if I was, I would wonder what the hell is going on. <laughs> is part of it due to regulations? Because I know sometimes, like, there's people that I know that say, hey, if I could actually know everything about a person, I could underwrite them almost flawlessly. It's just there's a lot of questions that I'm not allowed to ask. Are there certain things that you're just not allowed to know? I don't think so. I mean, my gut tells me that pretty much where every institution is about allowed to know whatever they want about us because we don't have data protection and we also have the Patriot Act, which are like two things basically opposing consumer like benefits. Um, but yeah, my, my gut says no, but I am not an expert. So if someone like Matt Janiga listens to this and has a different thought, I would love to hear it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Matt Janiga, by the way, is a lawyer at privacy.com. So he, he and knows a, a lot about this stuff. like me. So a native what? He's a native buffaloon like me. <laughs> Shout out. I'm, I'm not even going to go diving into all of that. Yeah, let's not go into my trauma. Uh, But anyway, no, I find this super interesting. And I think there are a lot of places at least thinking about this. I don't think we're the only ones here. So it's going to be exciting to see who starts to get this right and which geography they're in as well. Because I think it would be different based on which country you're in, how fast or slow this goes. And, you know, speaking of geographies and and neobanks that, you know, want to do something, let's talk about Revolut. They filed for a banking charter. 
um, in California. Is that right? I didn't even plan this segue. That was so good, Koki. Like, bravo to you right there. (laughs) You and I are just the most brilliant team. And honestly, Um, but yeah, I'm not exactly sure on the state, but they are applying for a banking license in the US, which I find interesting because they just decided not to pursue Canada anymore. Mm -hmm. And for me, when it's already hard enough for a US based bank to get a, a banking license, it seems like it'd be really hard for a UK-based bank to get a banking license, no? Yeah, it it definitely is. And kind of, you know that I'm I, I'm somewhat of an expert on this exact thing, right? Like this is this is very much in my wheelhouse. I still, for the life of me, cannot understand why you would want your own charter as a neobank. I mean, okay, it might make some things a little bit cheaper. You'll make a little bit more money on interchange. But guess what? You're going to lose all that money when the regulator's in your office once a month and you have to manage that relationship. You have to have a huge team of lawyers just to handle like the responsibility that is inherent to holding a banking charter. I don't understand it. Also, second question, not to be rude. Um, as you know, I've lived in the UK for seven years of my adult life. Um, I was a Revolut customer and it was great for my life there because I was away every weekend. I was like almost never in London. I was always in like some other place, like, you know, fucking around essentially. And I'm wondering what's the, what's, who uses Revolut in the US? We don't have that multi-currency thing. We just don't. People do not travel as much outside of the United States. Only, I think I Googled this recently. Like forty percent of United States citizens have a have a passport. Like, what is the catch, and why are they applying for a banking partner? And how many customers could they actually have? Yeah, no, I think that's my biggest question as well. I don't know how big the market here could actually be because unless you're traveling abroad a lot mm-hmm. or like a, a UK citizen that is currently in the US on a work right. visa or something like that, there is no reason for you to use Revolut. Yeah. And what's interesting about that second point, actually, is that um, if you had, I remember when Monzo came over, I used to be a Monzo customer in the UK and I closed the account to switch to Revolut, um, which I later regretted, but it's fine. Um, But I just wanted to try them out, essentially. I closed the account, switched to Revolut, and then several years later, I moved to America. Um, I tried to open a Monzo account here Mm -hmm. and they said, if you had ever been an account holder in the UK, you could not open an account here. So I was like, oh, oh, all right, um, which I get. That's that's a regulatory thing. But um, got it. That was my next question. I was like, wait, why? Why can't you open a, an account back up again? They basically just don't want to have a, an influx of UK customers trying to open American accounts that they don't actually have addresses for, etc. I assume. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. OK, interesting. Uh, do, you don't know anyone that has a Revolut account in the US, right? No, which is wild given you know how much I love to have like various financial products just sitting around for me. And I, I don't know a single person with one. I'm not, that's not to say that they don't have it, of course, but um, I'm not sure what the use case is here, especially when neobanking, like that, like monolith neobank isn't really a model that works here all that well with the exception of Chime. Right, right. No, I completely agree. And I think that, um, 
I don't know anyone that has a Revolut account either or a Monzo account. Although, like you, I don't go around asking everyone I come into contact with, do you have a Revolut or a Monzo account? I mean, I'm Uh, going to start. (laughs) And then when we eventually find that person, because there is that person, we will come back on here and say, we found them. We, We could have them as another guest. Yeah, in fact, could you, uh, if you are that person, please at one of us on Twitter um, and let us know. We're, we're genuinely curious. We are not being um, unscrupulous here. We genuinely want to know. Yeah, I'm, so I really want to know. They might even write a guest post for us or something like that. I'm into yeah, it. I'm into um, it too. Speaking, we'll, we'll stay on the banking topic again. One of the Google Pay executives uh, recently departed. I probably am going to say this name wrong. I apologize in advance. Caesar Sengupta. Uh, he'd been at the firm for something like 14 or 15 years, not always on Google Pay. He'd had other roles at the company, too. But he'd played a really big role in the, the company's growth in India and its rollout into a bunch of other countries where I think Google Pay has like 150 million customers uh, worldwide at this point. Um, he didn't say where he's going next, but I think it, I've been trying to follow Google Pay a little bit more because for those that are unaware, they're trying to do a lot more with the Google Wallet. Um, they've partnered with a couple of different banks. City is one of them as, lo- as well as local banks where mm-hmm. you can have uh, essentially like a Google Pay bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, And it signals to me, like if that were to do really well, I could see Apple doing the same where they had like an Apple bank account versus just the Apple cash that they have right now. Um, If it doesn't do well, I think Apple might be more hesitant and try to look at it in a different way where it was more, I don't know, just they made banking more seamless, but it wasn't really an Apple bank account. What are your thoughts on this? Since again, you are very familiar with the banking system. It's sort of your cup of tea. Yeah, so I think this is kind of interesting. I'm not sure. Um, I know we cover departures, like big departures from places. I don't know how much they matter. Um, I'm particularly cynical, though, because I've always worked with higher-ups, for the most part, that are pretty incompetent. So I'm always like, okay, whatever. Um, However, I I am very bullish on Google Pay, especially on their partnerships with community banks. And I've been looking into it a little bit more than usual recently because one of my um, former employees from BCG just got a job there. So he asked me to, like help. Um, (laughs) Basically, uh, I don't know. I think it's really, really interesting that they're kind of creating almost like a middleware of their own that's consumer facing. So working with a number of community banks branched out across the US that sits on top is just their interface. And I, I don't know, I'm really bullish on that. I think it's a really interesting idea. And in my estimation, I think it'll catch fire and you guys can, you guys can spite me when I'm wrong. That's fine. Question then for you, since we're talking about these partnerships, are you more bullish on that or Apple's partnership with Goldman to offer credit cards and other products? Well, we've seen the, we've seen that, what that looks like. And I'm not going to lie. I've said it before on Twitter, much to many people's chagrin. Um, Apple Pay or Apple Card is the best experience in fintech, and I will like I will die on that hill. Um, you're welcome, Aaron Frank. By the way, you can send me flowers later. <laughs> um, but essentially, like they're different products. Obviously, a credit card is usually a better experience because the point is to make you spend. Um, debit and banking is a lot less sexy, I think, on that side. So we'll see. I'm. I'm really bullish on both. I'm excited to see what Apple will do. I I can't necessarily see them getting into bank accounts. 
particularly because like what would be for the Apple card, it makes sense. Like what we're, what we're doing like, Oh, okay. 3% back on Apple products. Great. What would I do with a bank account with them? You know, like what I don't, I don't need to buy Apple products that much. I buy them once every two or three years. Like I, I don't see how that would be something that was catching for me, but yeah, maybe I they'll think- come up with something really interesting that I'm not seeing. I'm more of the mind that I think they could get into lending products versus like a checking or a savings account. Yeah. Because Apple has a ton of data on you. And I think if you went into an Apple store and wanted to buy a car or apply for a mortgage, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. They could do it in partnership with Goldman Sachs or another bank if they wanted to. And then you could finance it through Apple and that partnership and get some sort of rewards like, hey, buy this car, pay it off and we'll give you a MacBook or I don't know, like different things like that. Isn't isn't Apple actually developing a, a physical car of their own, or did I make that up? They probably are. I feel like all the tech giants are doing some sort of autonomous driving thing. Yeah, if they do, I can see it being really interesting for the kind of the way the auto industry works, like from sales. I mean, we both went through this last summer and we're commiserating, but from sales and like the process of getting insurance and all sorts of other like like your car payment. My car payment is such a weird experience, like. I don't know. Essentially, I think that if they if they do make a move like that, I can see them putting out a very, very compelling product, um, essentially making it easier for people to go through that experience and making it easier to to wrap up that experience. So you're going to get your insurance through this. You're going to get your payment through this and all of it's going to come down on your points. And that would be a lending experience that I would be very interested in. But again, I'm speculating. Yeah. And I mean, they could even tie in the car insurance to some sort of Apple partnership as well. So it's all just under one umbrella on your iCloud or whatever it might be. Which would be awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Two points. Koki and I both bought cars last summer. So that's why we were going through the same experience. Yay. If you guys in Brooklyn (laughs) see a beautiful, elegant Mazda, know it's me. Wave. Say hello. (laughs) I would say what my car is, but I'm going to be gone in a week. So you won't be able to see it anymore. Thankfully, we have that and can drive that down to Texas, though. So that works. Um, And then two, Aaron Frank is the essentially the creator of the Apple card. So y'all should follow him on Twitter. And Aaron, you can send me flowers as well for saying that. I'm actually sending Aaron dinner tonight as part of Lasagna's referral program. So um, he's going to owe me one anyway. (laughs) That's all we have for today's episode of Tux Time. But join me again in our next episode when we have special guest Satya Patel of Homebrew, a seed stage investor who's got big bets on Aurum, Finex, Chime, and others in our space. So I'm super excited to dive into all these topics with him. And then again, Koki will be back with us super soon. So we will see you then, Koki. Thank you again for joining us today. Thanks, Jules. Thanks, everyone. And see you next week. 